Okay, well this morning I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21 for this morning's message, Matthew 21. Last week I started a short two-part sermon series, started it last week, we're going to finish it today. And this sermon series is titled, This Easter, This Easter. And my goal for this pre-Easter sermon series is to help us Prepare for Easter this way in, in a way that maybe we haven't done in, in the past. Because the whole idea of preparing for Easter is, is foreign to a lot of people. Who prepares for I mean, we certainly prepare for Christmas, but who prepares for Easter? I mean, there's there some preparations, but it's not quite the same. We understand preparing for Christmas, um, but Easter for a lot of people isn't really on the radar. And so, many people don't even know when Easter is, unless they ask Google or, or Siri or Alexa or somebody like that. Because unlike Christmas, Easter is a different date every year. One of the things that we do at Christmas time is we spend several weeks getting ready for the Christmas season, decorating our house, buying presents, going to parties. There's a lot of anticipation, a lot of preparation before Christmas, but not so Easter. In fact, for Easter, for many people, Easter is almost an afterthought. The question that we hear a lot before Christmas is, are you ready for Christmas this year? Well, no, I'm still shopping. I got a lot to do. For Easter, the question is, when is Easter this year? It's always different. And so what happens is that sometimes Easter comes and goes without anything significant happening in our, fa- in our families. And that's a shame because Easter is life-changing, And if we allow God to transform us, He will do that. If we'll embrace Easter and understand and prepare for it and receive the message of Easter, then that allows God to transform us. So this Easter, I'm going to encourage you to determine that things will be different. This Easter, decide to make a difference. Make a difference in your life. Make a difference in the lives of your friends, of your family members. This Easter, make a difference. And last week I told you that one of the ways we can make this Easter different is by feeling what Jesus feels. So last week's message was this Easter, feel what Jesus feels. Jesus felt compassion for the crowds. We talked about this last week. He felt compassion for the crowds because they were harassed, they were helpless. He said like sheep without a shepherd. In fact, we learned last week that Jesus cried. He wept for the spiritual condition Of the people who were lost. Even though these same people he was crying for. Would be crying for him to be crucified later in the week. But he had compassion for them. And we can do no less. We must respond with compassion. When we see the true spiritual condition of our friends and family members. Who live without Christ. Feel what Jesus feels. And today I want to talk to you about. Talk to you excuse me. About making much of Jesus. This Easter, make much of Jesus. I've, I've heard that phrase from time to time, but one of the, the people I hear it from the most is Dr. Ed Stetzer. And he often says, I'm going to be speaking at this location or at this conference. He speaks at a lot of conferences. He's a highly educated man. He's got a couple of, of two PhDs and then a couple of masters, and he's just highly educated. But he's a great, great guy. But he always says this, I'm going to be speaking at this organization's meeting or at this church. Then he says, please pray that 
we make much of Jesus. I think it's a great phrase. So we're going to talk about this Easter. Let's make much of Jesus. Don't make more of the Easter bunny. And Easter bunny's fine. I think, I think he might visit us, or visit the children next Sunday after the service. I'm just throwing that out there. But don't make more of the Easter bunny than you make of Jesus. Don't make it about yourself and go out to the lake and go out somewhere and forget that Easter is about the resurrection and what Jesus offers us. So this Easter, make much of Jesus. So we're going to read from Matthew 21. And these are 11 verses, so a little bit lengthy. Follow in your Bibles. You can also follow along on version on the Bible app if you prefer. And uh, let's engage in God's Word together. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus Enter Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As we've said, today is Palm Sunday, the day in which we recall this event we've just read about. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And this certainly is a day in which the crowd made much of Jesus. As we just read, they were making much of Jesus. Which, by the way, this crowd that we read about here, the ones that were crying, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This crowd probably consisted of of peasants, most of whom seemed to have accompanied Jesus from Galilee, as he was coming from Galilee now to Jerusalem. They were coming with him, and, and they were recognizing him as a Messiah, and understood that he was the son of God. They called him the son of David, from the line of David. And so they knew, they believed he was the Messiah, and they were praising him for that. So these were not the city dwellers who later in the week would be saying, crucify him about Jesus. Not the same group. Uh, These people believed he was the Messiah, and so they made much of him as he entered in the city. So what does it mean then to make much of Jesus? And how do we do that? How do we make much of of Jesus. I think we can understand what it means to make much of Jesus by looking at this very interesting story in the book of Acts chapter 19. In Acts 19 there's a story, it's just, it's just fascinating. And uh, it, it happened during a time in which Paul was ministering in the city of Ephesus and God was doing amazing things through the ministry of Paul. There were many miracles that were happening. People were being healed left and right through his ministry. But, and also one of the things that was happening is that, that Paul was, was approaching people who were demon-possessed. And he was casting these evil spirits out of 
these people. So he'd go and, and just in the name of Jesus, you know, come out and the evil spirits or demons would come out. So this was happening. In the meantime, there were some Jews that decided, after seeing what Paul was doing, decided they were going to try the same thing. They're going to try to cast out demons just like Paul did. And so they started doing this, finding people who were demon possessed and trying to cast them out just like Paul was doing. But they came to this one man who was demon possessed and they and these these men, in fact, there were, there were seven men. They were referred to as the, the sons of Sceva. These seven men were the sons of Sceva. And they came to this one man who was demon-possessed. And they, they told him this. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Right? Just very forceful. Command you to come out. And suddenly, they weren't expecting this. The evil spirit spoke back to them. The evil spirit said to them, I know who Jesus is, and I've heard about Paul, but who are you? And then this evil spirit attacked the seven men. It's one against seven. Uh, this evil, the, the man with the evil spirit, I should say, attacked these seven men. He jumped on them. He overpowered them. And the Bible says that he gave them such a beating, one against seven, gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Wow. Yeah, that's in the Bible. That's why you should, you should read the Bible. There's great stories like that all over the place. So here's what happened. Let's put this, let's put this up on the, on the screen. Here's what happened next. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. No kidding, right? They were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus, was held in high honor. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So making much of Jesus means to hold him in high honor. Making much of Jesus means to hold his name in high honor. Whether because it's a, a fear of, of judgment or it's a fear of just a reverence, the awe of God. This Easter, let's make much of Jesus by holding his name in high honor. But how do we do that? Well, according to this verse, Acts 19, 17, we make much of Jesus when we hold His name in high honor and when we walk in the fear of the Lord. When we walk in the fear of the Lord. Uh, which raises the next question, what is the fear of the Lord? I've told you a story in, in, in the past about my junior English, uh, junior year English teacher. His name was Ernest Clark. And for some reason, he would give me a hard time. He'd like to pick on me, and uh, he, he would ask me to stand up and explain something from the Bible, or I explained a shirt that I was wearing, or a patch. I said to you recently, that's back in the days when we would have patches. We'd put patches. This is, uh, this is the early 70s, right? We have patches on our bell bottoms and I don't know, all kinds of stuff. I don't ask. But he said one time, I don't want people telling me I need to be afraid of God. He was talking about the fear of the Lord. And I think, if I recall correctly, we were reading Jonathan Edwards and his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So, it, I, I don't think he really understood what the fear of the Lord was. In fact, I don't think I really understood that. I was you know, 17 years old or so. But the fear of the Lord is, is simply the sense of reverence and awe. The sense of reverence and awe that comes from recognizing God's holiness and recognizing God's power. It's a sense of awe. It's a sense of reverence. 
fear in terms of respect and reverence. Not always being afraid. Now, sometimes for some people, there's a component of, of being afraid, like what we read about in Acts 19.17. But it doesn't have to be that. It's, it's uh, more than anything, and fundamentally, it's the sense of reverence and awe that comes from recognizing the awesomeness of God, the power of God, the holiness of God. Now, maybe to understand this a little bit better, the opposite of the fear of the Lord is just a casual and careless approach to God. The fear of the Lord is opposed to a casual and careless approach to God. A casual and careless approach is what the seven sons of Sceva employed. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They didn't have any authority from Jesus. But they said, in the name of Jesus, whom somebody else preaches, Paul. We don't know him, but I've heard Paul talk about him. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't even know Paul. But they tried to get the same results that Paul was getting without having a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus that Paul had. So it was just kind of a careless, superficial, casual approach. So that's, there's no understanding of reverence and awe. There's no understanding of God's holiness. There's no fear of the Lord. But if we're going to make much of Jesus, we must be surrendered to Him. In a practical sense where our daily lives revolve around His will and His purpose for our lives. Where, where we seek His will daily. Where we strive to please Him with our thoughts and our actions. There's a connection with Jesus. The Bible calls it, being, Jesus Himself called it being born again. Uh, Acts, and uh, the apostles called it being saved. Paul referred to it often as being in Christ. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And so it has to start with that relationship with God. And then we learn to, to walk in the fear of the Lord and the respect. And, and we're not afraid that He's going to zap us. That's not what it means. Because the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Jesus, you don't have to feel condemned and say, Oh no, I messed up today. I didn't pray today. God's going to zap me. God's angry at me. This is why things aren't working out. This is why I didn't get the job I applied for. God's mad at me. No, God's not mad at you. It's not that He's mad at you. No, things, things happen. Somebody else was praying for the job too. Maybe God decided that was a job for that person. The bottom line is that the, the fear of the Lord is not that we're afraid. It's just that we love God and we respect, we respect Him and we reverence Him and we recognize His holiness. And, you know, we have to be careful because we live in, in danger of losing our healthy, holy fear of the Lord when we live spiritually careless lives. If we don't try to connect with God daily or regularly, if we, if we stay disconnected from Him, from Him in every way, what happens is that our, our souls become dry. Our hearts become cold toward God. This is why, you know, as we prayed this morning, uh, this prayer of dedication for Piper, you know, that's significant because we want our children's souls to be taken care of. Sometimes parents take care of all the other aspects of their children, but they don't care for their souls. And their hearts. And so we as adults as well. If we don't take care of our souls and our hearts. They become cold toward God. There's no longer any fear. There's no longer any awe. There's no longer any reverence. The only thing that's left for us is now. We serve God. We serve God through rites and rituals. That's what's left. Because there's no more awe and reverence. We serve God through spiritual practices. That maybe we have, we have learned from our childhood. We, we've practiced these. Yeah, I know. Okay, go to church. Give an occasional offering. And we're serving God by rote. 
Because there is no fear of the Lord. We're not really making much of Jesus anymore. We're not really making much of Jesus. We're making little of Him. We're minimizing His effect uh, on our lives. We minimize His word. We minimize His presence. We refer to Him as a man upstairs because we don't really have a personal relationship with Him anymore. We just try to keep God minimally satisfied because I, I need God's blessing. I need Him to answer my prayers. And that's no way to live. So this year, I want to challenge you, this Easter, make much of Jesus in your life. Make much of Jesus. Follow Him wholeheartedly. Be passionate about, about Him. Hold His name in high honor. Privately, personally, and, and publicly. Lift up His name. Hold His name in high honor. This Easter, walk in the fear of the Lord. Make much of Jesus. Now let's return to our text in Matthew 21 to continue to learn how to make much of Jesus. So we make much of Jesus when we hold His name in high honor and when we walk in the fear of the Lord. But also, we learn from our text that we make much of Jesus by praising Him passionately and earnestly. By praising Him passionately and earnestly. And Matthew 21.9 says, let's go back to that and let's read this again. Matthew 21.9 reads like this, The crowds that went ahead of Him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now they were shouting this. And it was loud. It was loud. They were shouting this. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. How do we know they were loud? They weren't just kind of whispering this. But they, you know, of course this verse says they shouted this. But then Luke, when Luke tells us the same story in Luke 19. He writes that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, were bothered by what they were hearing. And they said to, to Jesus, they told him, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. This isn't reverent. You know, this is too loud, too noisy. They weren't used to that. They were used to kind of quiet reflection, introspection. Which there's a time for that. But at this point, as he's coming in and, and they're shouting out, and, and we read in this passage, there were people ahead of Jesus and people behind Jesus that were shouting these things, these words of praise to God. So the Pharisees told them, Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. But Jesus answered this. Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. Now that's interesting because we clearly see that Jesus was expecting and receiving the praises of the crowd that day. He wasn't telling them, shh, don't say anything. You're too loud. He was receiving their praises. And he said, if they're not going to be praising me, the rocks will cry out and praise me. So this was an appropriate response. The, the shouting of praises, the exuberant praise, was an appropriate response to the recognition of who Jesus is. To the recognition, rather, that Jesus was a son of David. He was a Messiah as he entered into Jerusalem. So if Jesus is king, and he is. If Jesus is worthy of high honor, and he is. And if Jesus is worthy that we walk in the fear of the Lord, which He is, then truly He's worthy of our passionate expressions of praise. Because praise, praising Jesus is not just something we do, we do in hushed or subdued tones. Certainly there's a time for that. There's a time for that. Tomorrow night I'll be given the invocation at the SAISD school board meeting. And uh, how do you think I'm going to pray? 
not in passionate, exuberant voice. I could, but that's, you know, that's a the school board meeting, and I'm just asking God's blessing. And so it'll be just a, a more formal type of prayer. There's a time for that. But this was not the time for that. This was recognizing that Jesus is king. This is recognizing that he was and he is the Messiah. So when we, we recognize that he's a king, he's the Lord of our lives. When we remember how much he has done for us. Beginning with how He's forgiven our sins, our many sins. Think about your past. Think about the things that we've done. I mean, sometimes we don't want to think about those things. We're like David in Psalm 25 where David says to God, Remember not the sins of my youth. Please, God, don't remember the stuff I did when I was younger. Or maybe even the things I did last week. But when we we think about how God forgives us of those things, Our response should be exuberant praise. And and what I like about this is that when when we as individuals, whether it's devotional time or when we come corporately like today, when we join our hearts and voices in praising God, in praising Jesus, then that that creates an ambiance in which God can move and touch lives. And, and, I, and I pray for our children that they would see their parents, their grown-ups, worshiping God exuberantly, emotionally even. Just worshiping God from the heart. Because that has a great impact on our children. It does. It's a great impact. And so, we pray for our children. And what we see in this story is that, and, and not in Matthew's telling, but one of the other Gospels telling of this story is that on Palm Sunday, the adults were praising God exuberantly, praising Jesus. The next day, Jesus went to the temple. And when the children at the temple saw Jesus, they began to praise Him out loud using the same words they had heard their parents use the day before. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. How did the children know to say that? Because they had heard their parents They were mimicking their parents. Certainly they were learning from their parents. But I think it was a sincere praise. So our kids learn from us. They they learn from us to be exuberant. and To give praise to Jesus that He is deserving of. Or they learn from us to be cold and unfeeling. Or they learn from us to put other things in place of Jesus. Let's teach them through our example. Exuberant praise. Now granted, exuberant praise is going to look different for everyone. But the point is that making much of Jesus includes uh, praising Him passionately and sincerely. It looks different for all of us because we're all different. Some some of you are a little more uh, reserved. Others of you are a little more vocal. So it looks different. But we're talking about an audible and even excited, exuberant praise of God. Now David, King David in the Old Testament, he knew... He knew how to make much of Jesus through praise. He knew that. In Psalm 71, he wrote this. Psalm 71, verse 23 and 24, verses 23 and 24. He wrote, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Now notice, what, he doesn't just say, my heart will praise him. Because it's easier for us to say, yeah, I'm, I'm praising him inside. And that's good. That's where it starts. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't, he doesn't say, my heart, 
My heart will shout for joy. My heart will tell or my soul will tell of your righteous acts. There are other times when he uses those, those words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. But right now, He is specifically tying our praise to the physical part of us. My lips will shout for joy. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts. And so many verses, too many to read this morning. He talks about lifting up holy hands or lifting up hands. Paul says in the New Testament, holy hands. But David says about lifting up hands to God. In worship and in praise. So my hands, my lips, my, my tongue. And the lips and the tongue speak of audible praise. That's what the crowd was doing on that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem. They were praising Him audibly. That's what Jesus was talking about when He said, If they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. He was talking about audible praise. Now, maybe you don't feel comfortable praising Jesus out loud. And when I say out loud, I just mean audible. Maybe you don't feel comfortable. And I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, learn to do it. Practice, practice speaking out and thanking Jesus. Just practice expressing what you're thinking in words from your lips and from your tongue. This is a biblical thing. But, but secondly, let me say, if you don't feel comfortable expressing uh, praise exuberant praise to Him audibly. And again, it may, it may not be very loud, but we're talking about just it being audible. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, let me just say, you're not the first one to, to feel this way. In the Old Testament, the Jews were very uncomfortable doing that. And they had to learn the same thing I'm talking about now. They had to learn to approach God with words. So let's read about this in Hosea 14. Look at this. For, uh, uh, Hosea 14, 1 and 2. It reads like this. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. And then the prophet tells them how to return. Verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive us all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer, remember this phrase, we may offer the fruit of our lips. Do we have it up there? No, we don't. We have the next one. We may offer the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips. Now, what's going on here? The Jews were not accustomed to approaching God with words. The Jews were accustomed to approaching God with burnt sacrifices. They were accustomed to approaching God with, with a sacrifice of a bull or a lamb or a grain offering. They knew how to approach God with, with rituals. But approaching Him as in a personal way with words, that was, that was, that was hard for them. They weren't accustomed to that. It made them uncomfortable. And so the prophet had to tell them, when you approach God, when you return to God, take words with you. They're like, why? Just approach Him with words. And they were like, we didn't even know what to say. So He even has to tell them what to say. Look at verse 2 where He says, take words with you. And then He tells them, say to Him these words. Forgive us of all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Now, this is what they had to learn to do because they weren't accustomed to that. But this is Hosea 14, 1 and 2. is really kind of giving us uh, a picture into the New Testament. Now in the New Testament, through Jesus, through His sacrifice, which we're getting ready to, to celebrate, to commemorate, to mark, to remember, 
through, through Jesus, now we're able to do exactly what Hosea was telling the people of Israel to do back in the Old Testament. So look at this. This is Hebrews 13, 15. In fact, uh, I want you to read this. Can we read this out loud together? Okay, let, in a strong voice, help me read Hebrews 13, 15. Here we go. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Did you catch that? The sacrifice of praise is not, uh, I don't really want to go to church, but I'm going to go. I guess that's a sacrifice. I hope God is happy. No, the sacrifice of praise is not so much a sacrifice we make, but it's the fruit of our lips. Did you catch that from Hosea 14.2? Where the prophet said, said, Then you can offer him the fruit of your lips. That's what God wants. He wants the fruit of your lips. He wants your lips, your tongue to praise him. The fruit of your lips. And so I say to you often, you know, we, we sing. This morning we've, we've sung some beautiful songs. And I thank God for our, our worship team that led us through a time of worship. And some beautiful lyrics. I was standing there singing that last song about grace. Thinking, oh man, this, this song, it just, it, 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 it gets to me. Talking about the grace for our past and to cover our sins. I thought, what a great truth. And I, I, you know, I'm thankful that God inspires people to write beautiful songs. But that is, and that's important, but that's really the beginning. What God wants is not the fruit of somebody else's lips for your life. That's a good start. But He wants the fruit of your lips. He wants you to praise Him for what He has done and for who He is. What He has done in your life. So this Easter, make much of Jesus by praising Him passionately and sincerely. Now let me give you a word of warning here. It's... It's not hard to learn to praise Jesus without truly having given our hearts and lives to Him. Making much of Jesus can happen. Uh, making much of Jesus through prayer can happen without us really making much of Jesus through walking in the fear of the Lord. We're good at disconnecting those two. We're not making much of Jesus in our lives, but we can come together and oh, we can sing, we can praise Him. Fall into the trap of praising His name while we don't really fear His name. That's not the way it was meant to be. Because when we praise Jesus without living for Him, we make a mockery of His name. Remember Paul told the Galatians that God will not be mocked. This is why Jesus said, These people, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's that danger. So we've got to be careful that we're honoring Him with our lips, but also with our hearts and with our lives. And when we're doing that, and when, as I said earlier, when we're joining together, as we have this morning, joining together with other believers and praising Jesus, like on that day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, there were multiple voices, there were, there, there were crowds Bible actually uses that in, in the plural. There were crowds there. And they were joining their hearts and voices together and praising Jesus passionately, exuberantly. When we do that, it makes an impact, excuse me, impact on the world around us, just like it did on that first Palm Sunday. Back to our, our, our text in Matthew 21. Look at verse 10. Matthew 21, 10. As we get ready to conclude here. Matthew 21 and 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? 
And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth, the, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So their exuberant praise together, the sound, it stirred the city. It got their attention. It, it, it stirred their, their hearts and their minds. Who is this? And they were able to testify and tell who Jesus was. And so that leads us to this final point I want to make. We can make an impact as a, as a church when we all join together in praising Jesus. People feel the impact when we all join together and praise Jesus. People's hearts are stirred when they come in and say, okay, something's going on in this place. Because people are worshiping God passionately, exuberantly. They're stirred. It's happened. It's happened many times. There's a, a gentleman who used to come here, and he's since, my understanding, moved away. But he, he has come here. He used to visit us uh, back at our Coberland uh, campus as well. And, and he, you know, he's had a, a difficult life. He struggled with, um, with drug abuse and relationships and oh, so, so many different things that he struggled with. And so he and I have had several conversations over the years. But he would come to our services back at the Coberland campus. He... He showed up here. He's been here a couple of times. But he, uh, one of the times that he came, he was with another person. And he told, he told this person. And this is kind of, you know, kind of a rough background. You know, he told this person, this is the only church where when I come, I feel like crying. And I said, you know what? It, it, we don't certainly take any credit for that unless he's crying saying, no, stop, please. No, I don't think he's crying for that. Not the way he explained it. He just, he, he went on to say, it's like, you know, God's always speaking to him. I said, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. But you know what? That happens when we, as a church, worship Jesus together passionately and exuberantly. Let's not lose that. Let's not lose an opportunity to make an impact on the world around us. So let me just say, this Easter, make a difference. This Easter can be unlike any other. This history could be like any other. It could come and go and you could remain unchanged. You could celebrate it superficially without the truth of the resurrection having any impact on your life. Or you can choose to make much of Jesus this Easter. You can decide to honor His name, to hold it in high honor and to walk in the fear of the Lord. You can decide to make much of Jesus by joining voices with those around you in passionate praise. That will make a difference. So this Easter, let's make much of Jesus. We're going to sing. We're going to worship God as we conclude our service this morning. But first, let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the challenge of your word. We truly know that you are worthy of our praise. You've been so good to us. You loved us when nobody else loved us. You loved us when nobody else would even give us a time of day. You offered us new life, a forgiven life. There's so much more than we could ever, ever uh, verbalize that you've done for us. And so we thank you for that, dear Father. And I ask that you would forgive us for the times that we just so casually approached you. So superficially try, superficially try to serve you. Because, Father, your son Jesus didn't die so that we might serve you just in a hit and miss manner. But he died so it would be totally surrendered to you. So this morning, Father, we just 
We commit to living and walking in the fear of the Lord. We commit to every chance we get just praising you. Exuberantly praising you, loving you. Because you are truly worthy of all our praise. And we do that today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.